this is this week. And, and I know that because you guys are so transparent with your lives. And I love that about our church family. It's been a joy to pray for everyone. And our prayer this morning is that as we come with so many needs and so many unique circumstances, that we meet Jesus and we allow him to minister to us uh, this morning. I do have uh, a handful of announcements that are very important ministry opportunities. Let's call them that instead of announcements, because you've already glazed over when I said that. Uh, number one, a reminder on the Church Center app. I hope you're using that. If not, uh, contact the office or any of the ministry leaders uh, on how to use that, because all the events that I'm going to name here are listed there, and all of the details for the events especially. So you can get that on there. Uh, tonight is gift wrap night. Uh, all the gifts that have been bought uh, and purchased purchased for uh, Parmley and for uh, Bridgeway are going to be wrapped over in these rooms tonight. So all of our women are invited to participate in that. Um, Tuesday night, the 21st at 6.30 p.m., there's going to be an ornament exchange here, uh, a great time for our women to fellowship and just, again, enjoy uh, celebrating our Savior in, instead of rushing around too much. Um, We've got Christmas Eve service, uh, 5 o'clock. It's about a 45-minute service, a wonderful time, kind of a lessons and carol service uh, this Christmas Eve, this Friday night. We look forward to seeing you here for that. And it's a great time of uh, ex extended family members and uh, people from the community coming out for that. And then uh, next Sunday, I want to make sure that you are aware, Sunday the 26th, we have no first hour. There's nothing happening at 930 and at 11 o'clock, we're all going to be together. So we're going to offer infant and toddler, uh, but no other children's programming. We'll be together as a church family, and it'll be an abbreviated service. We're going to build it around communion and singing together. So uh, about a 45-minute service there as well. And then uh, let me give you a quick update. Last week we had a candidate here, and we want to uh, let you know that uh, things went well. Uh, no offers were made, but I want to give you a special thank you for all your involvement. Uh, we had so many different layers of interviews and meals out and uh, observations in ministry, and I'm very grateful uh, to you for that. Our leadership is very grateful to you for participating that way, and we still invite feedback. So uh, my email is dave at conroebible.org. Uh, Matt is Matt at and Chris is Chris at and all the elders. You can reach uh, all of us. We would appreciate your feedback in uh, any way or you can call me or text me. Uh, we would enjoy that. And then one special uh, church family announcement that uh, I think you're going to be very excited about. Um, I'm going to put a picture up here. Randall Brown graduated from Sam Houston State. Really proud of you, Randall, a week ago. And uh, bachelor's in business? All right. Way to go, man. All right, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the cool air to invigorate our lungs and get us started praising you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here together together in your presence and to share our needs with you and with one another. And we pray that you would touch us uh, deeply just where we need it. We lift this uh, time of worship to you from our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand up with us.
Would you read this with me? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
Father, we thank you for sending your son to us. We thank you for this time of year that we can look to you for hope, for peace, to celebrate our saving through your son, Jesus. We love you. We thank you in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're one of our kiddos, K through five, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. If you're one of our guests, please feel free to go with your kiddo and get them checked in and then come back and join us. sweet sorrow amongst all this devastation may seem impossible, but Jordan Bays managed to do just that. His home destroyed by the tornado, but certainly not his spirit or his piano. Take a listen to this touching moment captured by his sister. sweet moment there no roof but beautiful music Jordan first off how are you doing you know I'm fine I'm fine my kiddos uh, and I were in the basement when the storm came through um, we're safe and sound today and I'm so thankful for that and that's much more than I can say uh, for many of my friends and neighbors uh, my house is destroyed uh, but I have some friends and neighbors in our little town of Bremen whose homes are missing. Uh, so when you really, you know, count the cost, I have nothing to complain about uh, on this Monday, uh, especially when you consider that I think our number is up to 12 lives lost just in our little community, just 12 too many. And uh, so, yes, it's a, it's been a wild few days, but uh, we have still so much to be thankful for. And I certainly, um, I, I, my problems are not are certainly not at the top of the list. You're right. It gives us all a real sense of perspective. You're so right about that. But I am curious, when you walked into what was left of your home, what compelled you to walk over to your piano and, and start playing? Well, music is important to me. Uh, that actually was a Christian hymn called There's Something About That Name, written by uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither. And so but Christian music uh, is important to me. My faith is important to me. And it just brings a sense of calm and peace and what was otherwise a, you know, a, a pretty trying time. And so um, I didn't know when, what kind of shape the piano was in. Um, so I wanted to give it a try. And really that moment that many, many people now have seen was really, it was just for me. I, I didn't know my sister was listening, much less recording, uh, but um, yeah, I, I, maybe it's brought some peace and comfort to many folks across the country. And if that's the case, I'm, I'm happy that that is. It I think you're an example to so many after having lost so much, but you remain so resilient. What is your message to others who, who might be listening right now, who may be experiencing a, a crushing feeling of, of not knowing what's the next for them, whether it's within this actual literal storm or, or the figurative storms that um, occur in all of our lives? Sure. Well, um, at the risk of being too preachy, um, I would say that for me, my faith guides me through the good days and the bad days. And I um, would hate to know that I'd have to face this storm uh, or any other forthcoming without 
um, being able to walk through it with Christ. Um, he is the anchor of our lives and our family. And um, I would encourage anyone that uh, doesn't have that kind of relationship to, to try to find it. Uh, I know life's much sweeter when that's in place. Your faith is what is carrying you through. Thank you so much for your time and, and for sharing your talent with all of us, even in the darkest of moments. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the So I was, I was spending all week pondering one question, and that question was, what is the connection between sanctification and, and peace? Uh, sanctification being that process by which God shapes our heart and lives to look more like Jesus's heart and the way he lived. Uh, the, the process that takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit once we come to trust Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our lives. And then uh, about Monday afternoon, that, that clip of him, of Jordan playing, popped up and, and I was just watching it. And I don't know how many of you saw it, uh, just the, the shorter one of, of just him playing. It's only like 15 seconds long. And I just found myself kind of entranced by it and just watching it over and over and over again. And, and, uh, and I guess just the, the contrast of him playing that song and the house, uh, just, just really, I felt like there was an answer to my question in that video of well, what's the connection between peace and sanctification and growth. And, and, uh, and I saw a man, uh, and then later, you know, when I saw this video, I thought, well, I don't even have any to add anything to that. We'll just play that and good night, you know? And, uh, because it, it, you know, he, if you heard him, he mentioned peace twice, uh, and just the, 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 his, uh, you know, and, and even the news anchor um, set it up so perfectly to say, uh, how about the rest of us that are walking through storms of life? How does, how does peace, how, what do you have to say to that? And his answer was, I don't know how you do it without Jesus. Um, well, Paul, we're, as we're wrapping up first his letter to, to the Thessalonians in his first letter, he, you know, interestingly enough, Paul begins and ends the letter with peace. Uh, in fact, both letters, Second uh, Thessalonians, he begins and ends with peace. And Paul, in a, in a prayer, in the passage we're going to look at today for the church, he calls uh, for a connection for, between peace and, and their growth. The letter was all about their walk with Jesus and him encouraging them. And he ends with the God of peace. He, he's asking the God of peace to see them uh, grow. And, and so I wanted to uh, just kind of watch that video and, and think for a second about this idea of peace and how it does aid in our, uh, our, our growth, our sanctification process. Um, you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word peace is all over the place. It's a very common biblical word. In the Old Testament, it's a Hebrew word named shalom. We've, we've spoken a lot about it. Shalom means uh, restoration, oneness, wholeness, that, that what was torn apart was, was brought back together. And in the New Testament, when you see the word peace, it's the Greek word irene. And it's, they're really inter it's one of those times where the words are interchangeable because the idea is the same. Uh, I've heard it, the best way I've heard it described would be like, uh, 
uh, seeing a, um, you know, a, a, like a blanket or, or something or a, a, that had been just kind of shredded. And, uh, and, and, and then shalom or arene is that, that process of bringing those, those pieces back together. So it's, it's just the way it was meant to be restored to its original condition. And, and when we're talking about our relationship with God, we, we see throughout scripture that God wants to bring shalom or arene to our lives, that, this, that we were created to have a, a close, intimate relationship with our with our father, with, with God, with our creator and sin came in and shredded it and, and broke it apart. And, and we live in a world that is still exhibiting the symptoms and the consequences of that action. And so our individual lives also have that same buildup, that same tension, that same conflict as we experience a world that's, that is still, uh, has yet to be brought together, but we through the Prince of Peace, can find our shalom with God. And so Paul says this prayer, and I think it's a prayer that can be spoken over us as well. And in order to get a greater understanding of this kind of peace, I wanted to take a quick kind of jog or sprint through some critical uh, passages that speak on peace. And, uh, and so no need to flip to them. They're going to be on the screen. I just want to kind of connect the dots with some of these starting almost 700 years before Jesus was born. And we read this passage this morning, Isaiah 9, 6, where we see that one of the titles for the coming Messiah would be Prince of Peace. And I don't know if you noticed, but they're on the walls as well. As you look around, you have your wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. What does Prince of Peace mean? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah the prophet was communicating that when the Messiah comes, he would be a bringer of shalom. He would restore the oneness with our Father, that, 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 he, that he would come and restore our relationship as it was meant to be. And then fast forward to the actual birth of this Prince of Peace. And in Luke 2.14, we see the angels sing over in the, in the first official birth announcement, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. We see once again, the Messiah's peace emphasized. Now, interesting, the thing that kind of catches my eye about this is maybe you grew up hearing it, peace among men. Uh, but a, a better, more you know, accurate translation is peace among those whom he is pleased or in whom God finds favor. And we're starting to get this idea that maybe sometimes our understanding of peace and what we thought the Prince of Peace was going to do does not always line up with what he actually came to do. And that is some foreshadowing, I think, of the tension that will arise once Jesus begins his ministry, that there were so many assumptions made about the Messiah and what the Messiah's peace would be about. Remember, Israel was known for being constantly in conflict and war with outside nations, and they had hoped this Prince of Peace would come and bring peace through power, through a conquering and, and elevating them. And, and so even uh, as Jesus continued to do his signs of his Messiahship, as soon as he would do a miracle, people would want to rush in and say, okay, now restore the kingdom. Do, do something as we thought you were going to do it. Instead, we see things like this in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I find it really interesting if you go read that passage, it's in the same section where he is outlining 
his imminent suffering. He's about to leave the disciples. But he says he's not going to leave them alone. The verse right before it, he says, I'm sending you the helper. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is connecting the work of the Holy Spirit with his peace, the Messiah's peace. This is the same pattern Paul gives if you were here last week. Paul's last instruction, his command was don't quench the spirit. And then he launches into this prayer that the God of peace would sanctify them. So it seems there is a link between this process of growth and walking after Jesus and his peace. The Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit brings about that peace. But you read a little bit more, you skip over to Matthew 10 and you start to think, wait, does, what's, what's this Messiah's peace all about? Because in Matthew 10, 34, we see what seems to be a conflict. Because here, Jesus has a little different attitude about peace. And he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, this is not a conflict. This is a contrast. And it's the same contrast that really popped up in that first angelic announcement. And really even all the way back to Isaiah, that the Messiah's peace, the shalom that he brings was not meant to bring an end to our circumstances and to our conflict, not to bring peace to the environment we live in. Houses will still get torn apart around us and we will still experience brokenness in our relationships and, 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 and the place that we live. Our earthly bodies will still get sick. We'll still have injuries. We'll still have things that will happen to us. He did not come to bring peace to the earth. He did not come to solve all our problems that are the consequences of sin just yet. All that will come in his second coming when it all gets wrapped up, when, when time comes to a close and all wrongs have been made right. His first coming was all about the Messiah's peace and bringing shalom to our relationship with our father. And that took a lot of growing and understanding for the disciples to get, to, to finally get to the point in understanding, okay, when he says he's, he didn't bring peace, he brought a sword, what is going on? Well, as you read and expand in that passage, you understand that the peace that he brings was, was actually going to bring greater conflict, right? That, that not everyone will accept the Messiah's peace. Not everyone wants to have this relationship restored Many will instead continue to reject God, continue to live in disharmony with him. And when we see shalom brought into our lives with the father, we're, we're transported from the enemy of the darkness to the kingdom of the light. And now we are on the side at war with those that would be against the Messiah's peace. And so now there's division. There's division of those that, that have found unity with the father and those that continue to be in disunity with the father. I think Paul does a really good job of explaining this in Romans 5.1. This is near the end of our little jog through scripture as we connect the dots of peace. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The justification part, the part we call salvation. One of the consequences of that is this shalom, this, this bringer of peace, the Prince of Peace steps into our lives and now we have shalom with God. And now we can walk in that peace and that peace gives us the ability, the power, it empowers us to grow and to walk after him in peace. And so the, the question that I asked about what's the connection between peace and sanctification starts to kind of come into a clear idea of why peace is so crucial to following him. 
Now, if we have peace with the Father, that implies we're at war with him. And, and if, if you skip to that section that Paul is describing in Romans 5, and you, and you kind of go to the end in verse 10, he says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. There was a reconciliation that took place with this work of peace in our lives, this Messiah's peace. When we trust Jesus as our savior, we are brought from the enemy's domain to the king's domain. I guess all, all to be said, really the theme of this is when the gospel takes root in our lives, the Messiah's peace shapes our hearts. It's the Messiah's peace at work within us that shapes us to be able to follow him and trust and faith, even though we're living in a home that is ripped apart, even though we can look around and say, wow, this world, how could they say that when Jesus came, he brought peace if the world is no less or no more peaceful than it ever was? Because it's our hearts that he shapes. And when we are shaped and sanctified, we're sanctified for a purpose, right? Set, up, set aside to do the work of the gospel. And now as, as the, the God of peace works in our lives, we can be set apart to do the work of shaping our world and bringing peace to our world. I, I, you know, anytime there's major catastrophes like these tornadoes, um, as, as Mr. Rogers was famous for saying, look for the helpers, right? And it, I love the fact that I could hear reports like this, this woman on ABC where you wouldn't normally see the gospel preached and other places where you see men and women from churches all over the country going there. And it's, you, you, you cannot de deny the fact the gospel is work in that situation. That it's, that it's the church that's ready and able to work in the most peaceless environments because we have the Prince of Peace within us. So we in turn become bringers of peace. We can bring shalom to a torn world. And so flip over with me to our main passage that we're gonna look at that kind of brought all this together was Paul's prayer in, in 1 Thessalonians. We're, we're nearing the end of, of this letter and, and we're looking at verses 23 and 24. And he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. I wanna look at, really break this prayer into three parts as we consider this question and, and how the Messiah's peace shapes our hearts. The first, the first phrase is that first part of verse 23 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And there's three core words here because there's a lot of really important words in this prayer as we, as we start to unpack it. Now, we've talked a lot about peace already, so we have an understanding of what he's talking about there. But I just want to make a note of all the names and titles and characteristics of God that he chose peace here in this prayer. The God of peace himself will sanctify you. Sanctify, kind of hinted at that already, but it's that work of setting us apart, of shaping us for a work completely. God is not in the business of starting things and then not finishing them. Uh, my oldest, Grayson, who I didn't say I was going to mention his name, but um, when he was born, I had the inspiration of making a wooden rocking chair. I, I had more, you know, not having kids, I had time and energy and money and resources to do projects. And so I had the aspiration of saying, I'm going to make a wooden rocking horse for him. 
And I, and so as we're, I forget, I, I think while during the pregnancy, I'd worked and made the head part, I'd cut it out, shaped it, got all ready. And, uh, and then uh, the baby came and, you know, it kind of sat in the corner for a little bit. And then I think we moved like a year later. And so it got put in the garage and, um, I don't know when we moved here a couple of years, what, like last, you know, two, three years ago, I just handed him the head and I said, you know, this was going to be a really neat rocking chair when you were little and it just never happened. Um, and, uh, and so he has, he has this horse's head that I made. Uh, it's a project that went undone. God doesn't do that with us. It says the God of peace, he's praying that the, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That is God's desire for you. He doesn't desire to see us left unfinished. That when we walk into his presence, when, this, when your journey is done, his desire would be that his work in you would come to completion. Think of all the promises in scripture that have to do with that, of God's desire to see you whole, to see you complete, to see you uh, finished. And, and it's, it's hard to think like that when you're in the middle of a tornado, right? When you're in the middle of just all we see are the things that are broken and, and just start to wonder now, <laughs> have I just been stuck out in, a, in the garage, you know? And, and uh, one day God will just say, well, I tried, you know? Um, but, but that is not the spirit that Paul prays over us. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The second part that I want to focus on is the second half of verse 23. And he says, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there again are several important words here. Uh, and, and he uses that word whole, and then he breaks us into three parts, which is interesting to me that he's, he's saying all of us completely. Now, there are other places in scripture where you th see things like, you know, when Jesus said how, you know, what's the greatest commandment um, to love your Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That was an idiom. That was a phrase that was meant to be, okay, this is all of you, you completely, no part of you left behind. And I don't think from, from reading other scholars there, you know, obviously there are some that, that take it that way, that this, uh, that him saying spirit and soul and body was an idiom, but we don't really see it used that way anywhere else. Um, structurally, it seems that he's really, he's at the same time, he's not trying to help us understand our parts. He's not giving a full uh, study of anthropology here um, of, of how God made us. Um, and so I don't think we need to go too far that way. But I do think it's important to see that, that Paul is breaking us up into three parts. Specifically, he's taking our material and immaterial aspects of our humanity uh, and, and really trying to help our minds wrap around, okay, what would it look like for the God of peace to sanctify my whole mind, my whole heart, and my whole body? Because uh, that's what these, these words are. Now, I, I'm not going to throw up the, uh, what body means. That's pretty clear. It's, it's the Greek word soma, and it means body. It's your physical body. But spirit and soul, those words are, are uh, the, the Greek words there, we're, we're really kind of uh, identifying the two immaterial parts of us. And a, and a spirit really was communicating our rational mind or consciousness, that, that, that thing within us that allows us to make the decisions to trust Jesus, to follow after him. So it's our, it's our, our, I would say our head, 
uh, as we like to say it in our modern nomenclature, our head. The next one, soul, the, the Greek word there, was really talking about more the emotion, the side, the seat of our emotions, our affections and our will, or our heart, what we would call our heart and the body. I like to say our, our head, heart, and hands. That's the, the three aspects of us and the way that we follow after Jesus in those three ways. And so I think Paul puts that word whole up there to not make us think that, that one part is, you know, any, you know, we're supposed to get all caught up in the minutia of it. But when you start to really consider what would it look like in my sanctification process to find peace in each of those areas, in, in my heart, what, what I long for, my, the way my affections, what, what do my affections go after? And in my mind, right? Paul said the, the renewing of our mind, it's an important thing. Our, our decision-making and the way we think, the thoughts that we entertain in our body, our, our lust of the flesh, the things that our body longs for, the things that we, the idols that we crave. What would it look like to see God of peace sanctifies completely in all three areas. And he, and he goes on to say these three areas be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word coming there is the same word that we get Advent, right? The first Advent. And we're in Advent season and we celebrate his first coming. But there's an important distinction. And I think it's been true throughout uh, this letter that Paul is connecting the benefits and the consequences of a, of a restored peace with Jesus through, because of his first advent allows us to be ready for his second advent. There is no worry. There's no anxiety. There's no fear that we must live in as we follow after Jesus, worried that he's going to come like a parent that left a child in charge and come with discipline and fear and things that we left undone. But he is pointing out that he's, he's, he's praying for them, for their sanctification, that when Jesus does return, they would be found blameless. Now, blameless is not perfect. That's not the same word. That's not the same concept. There are some that believe that as we walk after Jesus, that he will eventually get us to the stage of perfection. And I would just think if you're in that, if, you're, if that's what you're thinking is, man, the frustration that follows after that. I mean, it's uh, blameless is one thing. I'm already frustrated with that. I can't imagine actually thinking the, the bar is perfection. Because uh, that is not, Jesus, Jesus is not intend for us. The, the job, the completion of this job is not reaching a sinless state. It is reaching a state of at peace with God, following after him in obedience. That in other words, it's said elsewhere, when Jesus shows up, we don't shrink back in shame. We don't say, ah, I've, I've kind of been living as if you weren't going to come back. The follower of Christ whose heart has been redeemed, restored through the peace of God is now at peace with the fact that one day we will meet our creator again. We'll be face to face with Jesus and it'll be a glorious time. And as Romans 8 said, who is there left to accuse you? What is there that is going to separate you from the love of God? And that day, when that day comes, when that second advent comes, we can celebrate just like we celebrate Christmas now. It's a, a wonderful time because... God of peace has been working in you and he's been sanctifying you. He's been setting you, a, 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 you know, aside to do a work. And so he prays that we be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the last phrase, verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He's faithful. So an interesting promise, right? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God will sanctify me. 
feel like I have to say that every morning. God will change me. God will transform me. He has the power to overcome anything that is holding my head or my heart or my hands back. But as I considered this last phrase of this prayer, it's really kind of the the follow-up to his prayer, right? He says the prayer in verse 23 and then verse 24. He kind of gives that, you know, kind of coming along beside that and say, now, I know that what I just prayed may sound impossible, that God will actually bring peace into your life, but he will do it. And so I considered what, what makes us doubt that prayer. Well, this is a promise. There's three things I wanted to put up on the screen for you. Uh, this is a promise that he will finish this work. This is a promise made despite all evidence to the contrary. And that's where we come back to that man playing the piano. And again, side note, I love that they called him piano man in the, in the, the news report at the bottom, piano man. But it's, it's that picture and what he, the words that he stated was, yeah, the, the house is in disrepair, but I still can worship God and I can still uh, follow after him. I can still trust him. All evidence to the contrary would say that he should be not in peace, right? And in the, the world that we live in, the evidence would say that the Prince of Peace has not come. And that's why we need to celebrate Christmas all the more, I think, to be the one that that really stands up to say, no, the Prince of Peace has come. You can find shalom. You can find peace with your God. It does not mean that the house will not get torn up every now and then. It does not mean that there aren't, you know, uh, things that will happen in your life that will be challenging and difficult and trials and pain and heartache will still come as long as we live in this this sin-soaked world but he's faithful. He will complete his work in you, in me, despite all evidence to the contrary. It's a promise. The second aspect of this promise that I think Paul is pointing out is that this is a promise given from the Prince of Shalom. Disorder will turn to order. The Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom, the Shalom bringer it lives within you. That, remember that, that connection between the work of the Holy Spirit and the peace of God that works in and through you. That reporter was amazed. What, what made you, Jordan, be able to sit down and play the piano when your house is a wreck? And uh, again, I, I think the thing that made me want to watch that over and over again is, is, is I, I put myself in that place and say, now would I be doing that? Because no, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm a little bit more of a worker and I'd be showing up with bags and rakes and shovels and, and uh, I would probably not take the time to experience his peace in that moment and, and, and take the time to worship I would, I would just show up and start working and I would miss that, that aspect of it. Uh, but as, as Jordan said, I don't know how you walk through this storm or any other storm without Jesus because he's the Prince of peace and he will bring disorder to order in our hearts. He will bring us peace in our, in our minds and with our hands, even the work that we do, the hands that we do to restore the brokenness around us comes from the Prince of Peace. The last thing I see is that this is a promise based on the faithfulness of God, not our efforts. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's the faithfulness of God that we can rely upon to find peace, that even though the evidence might say, I don't know where this is all going, and as Dave said, many, many of you, as we, as we know, our, our church family here, uh, many different stories happening in this room. And, and stories, some stories we don't know. Uh, 
that this is going to be a rough Christmas, or it always is a rough Christmas. Uh, or maybe nothing changes in the new year. It just the problems persist. And so it's at those times, that if we want to experience that peace, we need to look to the, to the one that, that gave us a promise of peace. That he is faithful. But that leads me back to my original question. What's the answer? What's the connection between peace and our sanctification? Well, maybe God's given you a whisper of an answer for you. Um, but there's just a few thoughts I had that I wanted to, wanted to share. Um, I think this peace Jesus gives us is critical to our growth. Because think about all the different times that Jesus says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't fear. All throughout scripture, over and over and over again. Why? Why, why do you think it's so difficult to follow after Jesus if our life is characterized by fear and anxiety and worry? If there's a lack of peace? In the moment that Jesus should be the most distraught, he's about to go to the cross. The moment at which he knows the disciples are about to be tested beyond what they've ever been tested. He says, my peace I give you. He predicts that, yeah, it's about to be rough. You're, you're about to be pulled apart, some of you more than others. It's going to be really difficult, but I'm going to meet you on the other side of it. And you're going to find peace. I think Jesus saw that peace was critical to the disciples' growth, that if they were going to grow through this, you know, and move on to lead the church and, and all the future trials and difficulties they're going to have, they must have peace in their hearts with God. They must have that anchor. So at Christmas, we celebrate because the Prince of Peace was born, the bringer of peace, not to end all earthly conflict or relational conflict or health conflict, but to bring us shalom with God, true restoration in spirit, soul, and body, sanctifying us to do the work of God. So I guess that leaves me with this final question. How can we serve the king and stay at war with him? Right? How can we serve the king and stay at war with him? We can't. We can't. I don't... I think that's, that's a big connection. And how can we grow if we withhold our head, heart, or hand from his transforming power? How can we grow if we withhold our head, heart, or hand from his transforming power? If I'm not allowing God to truly uh, overcome those things that are, that are robbing peace from my heart, from our affections, from our emotions, robbing peace from my mind, those thoughts that he wants to come in and, and conquer and overcome with his peace, how can he, how can we grow if we're, if, if the fear and anxiety overcomes the, the Prince of Peace's work in our lives? So Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. And so this Christmas, we have a lot of, a lot of us are living in homes that may not literally have the roof gone, but you feel like it. And maybe a lot of us are living lives where it feels like things have been ripped apart. But the God of peace comes and says, let not your heart be troubled. My peace I give you. So as we continue in worship, as we sing these Christmas songs, as we sing about the Prince of Peace who has come all those years ago, and as we go out in this last week before Christmas, this build up before however your family's gonna celebrate, celebrate in peace. 
celebrate just as Jordan did as he sits down at that piano and worships in the midst of the consequences of a, of a storm. To be able to look to the Prince of Shalom and say, I give you over my heart, my head, my hands, bring peace. Dear God, you are the bringer of peace, the one that sews us back together. You restore, you, you bring that thing that's missing. You, you bring true restoration. And I pray for anyone here that does not have that saving power within them to begin with, that they would call out to you now, that they would do that simple thing of saying, I, I have so much anxiety and fear in me because I do not have peace with God. And I pray for that person now that they could just take a moment to call out to him and seek restoration. And for the rest of us, as we seek to follow after you, we claim this same promise that was given to this church so many years ago, that you will surely do it. You are faithful. You will complete your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?
Just be.